0: Welcome to Quarantine Creatives. I'm Heath Rosella. RJ Freed is here today. I'm really excited to talk to him. RJ is the showrunner on Our Cartoon President, which airs on Showtime. They actually have a new episode returning after a very long break since March, this uh, Sunday, September 13th, on Showtime. And they'll be having new episodes right up until the election time. So, uh, very exciting. If you don't know Our Cartoon President, it has been one of my favorite shows over the last three years. I have really enjoyed how they've been able to sort of satirize the uh, the craziness of the Trump administration in the Trump years. So I'm a huge fan of Stephen Colbert's, and uh, I remember they used to do some segments on The Late Show where he would talk to a cartoon version of Donald Trump, and it was hilarious. And I remember hearing that Showtime had taken that concept and made it into a fully animated show. And I just thought it was brilliant. And I remember tuning in to the first episode, you know, three-ish years ago now, and just thinking it was one of the funniest things I had seen in a long time. You know, I talk about it with RJ in the interview, but one thing that I love about that show is I think it would be really easy to just, you know, tell the story of the Trump family, let's say, or just Trump and his closest advisors. But they actually really make the circle huge on this show. It includes so many people, uh, administration figures, Trump family members, uh, politicians from around the world, U.S. politicians, media figures from CNN, from MSNBC, from Fox, from NBC, Lester Holtz in there, (laughs) Chuck Todd's in there. Uh, They really satirize just about everybody who's in the kind of Washington political elite. And they present a version of Donald Trump that is very different from sort of some of the more grotesque uh, imitations that you see out there. He's somebody that really feels like he is he is the best at what he's doing and uh, should be more praised by the people around him, I guess. And, you know, one of the things I really like about Our Cartoon President is it carries over a lot of the sensibility from The Late Show. Uh, Stephen Colbert is an executive producer on it, as is the showrunner of Late Show, Chris Licht. Uh, so it's interesting just sort of how there is some shared DNA between the two shows, uh, or at least a shared sensibility maybe is is the right way to put it. Uh, They they have a similar point of view on this, but approach it from very different angles. So that's really interesting. Our cartoon president returns with new episodes this Sunday, September 13th on Showtime. They've been off since March, and uh, it's really fun just sort of to see how they deal with everything that's, uh, that's been going on. I had a chance to see the episode uh, in advance, and it's really good. I recommend you tuning in. They're going to talk about coronavirus and uh, some of the other things that have been happening over the last couple of months. And I'm sure with, uh, with all the news that's breaking you know, constantly here, uh, they may be making some last-minute changes to the show as well, probably even as we speak right now. So, uh, yeah, check out our cartoon president, RJ is also the showrunner on Tuning Out the News, which is a daily cartoon take on the news that you can see on CBS All Access. In some ways, it's similar to our cartoon president, but uh, it's a much more kind of straightforward look at the news. And it's, you know, cartoon anchors and cartoon pundits sort of opining on the news of the day. Whereas Our Cartoon President is almost a, it's a cartoon sitcom. To me, it's it's in the same vein of like a Simpsons or something like that. So, uh, But R.J. works on, on both shows, and uh, he's got a, a fascinating history. One of his first jobs was at Last Word with Lawrence O'Donnell, uh, and then he moved over to comedy soon after that, uh, working at The Late Show with David Letterman. He worked a lot with Triumph the Insult Comic Dog, and now he's uh, making fun of the president all the time on Our Cartoon President and tuning out the news so yeah, I really enjoyed just getting to know RJ and, you know, asking him about this show, our cartoon president that I've loved for three years, but I was really struck with just kind of how smart he was and how deeply he and his team really think about, you know, every joke that's in the show, every premise that's in the show, really making sure that they are effectively satirizing what's happening and giving us all as the audience, something to really think about. And, uh, and consider. So it's a smart show. And uh, I think this is a really smart conversation. I enjoyed just hearing about RJ's work on a very deep level. So that's what you're going to hear now. Here it is, my interview with RJ Freed. I want to start by just sort of asking how the last uh, six months or so have been treating you. How's this, this quarantine period been?
1: It's been a very weird, surreal time. We've just I think have felt very fortunate. The industry has obviously largely uh, shut down, but animation has been chugging right along. I mean, there was a couple weeks where we had to figure out how to make our whole remote production work. But once we did, it's it's really worked out and we've been able to chug along. So uh, yeah, I mean, that was the first thing that you think of when, when this kind of all started to go down, which was like, We've got, uh, between the two shows, we're doing 200 jobs that uh, are about to go away. And so uh, I'm just so glad we were surrounded by a great production staff who figured out how to do this whole thing.
0: Yeah. Talk to me, I guess, about what that process has looked like. How have you been able to shift to sort of an at-home model?
1: Yeah, you just democratize the whole process. It's been a process of making sure everyone had great internet connections. We were paying for people to to upgrade their internet connections so that they were good and plugged in. We sent audio equipment all over the country. I'm talking to you on, on my tuning out the news and uh, our cartoon president audio equipment that our engineer sent uh, around to everyone. Yeah, I mean, the biggest challenge also has been just finding ways to pass around big files quickly, uh, which is, it seems so silly, but that's the first thing is the animation is very big file intensive and so uh we've been able to to do that also you know but then there's also the thing of like voiceover is like a very strange uh kind of performance because you are usually in a booth and uh it's not like live action where you're you're in the setting that you're going to be portraying right you're in a booth and you're playing you know the president or whatever who's supposed to be in oval office now you're in your home and you're you know spouse certain kids or whatever are two rooms away and you have to just kind of shut that out right. and say no 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 i'm i am this character and i'm in this place and i need to perform as big and not worry about how my children think i'm an insane person just constantly screaming in the office <laughs>
0: just hearing and all these so, voices yeah right
1: yeah yeah and you know and so you just have to like we have to remind people no no, no you're not you're not in your house you were in you know you're in the the west wing you're here and that's how you need to you know perform
0: right uh have do you guys dial into the performances in any way like are you are you zooming into the sessions or anything or are people just sort of recording and and sending you files
1: it's a lot of zoom matt kulitz our audio engineer he is able to listen to people from his studio remotely uh you know using pro tools and uh some good plugins he's actually monitoring everything and making sure it all sounds good nice the hard part is everyone is in a different room everyone has you know we've made sure to get people good mics and all that stuff. But, you know, we want to make sure it all sounds the same. But if you watch the show, I don't think you could tell that it was recorded in, you know, 25 people, different people's homes.
0: Yeah, totally. But yeah, I can just imagine, like, you know, you're cutting two characters back to back. Like that. the, the mm-hmm. ambience of that room has to sound the same between those two. You know, you can't hear a jump, I guess, between them.
1: Yeah, no, it's, I think audiences are, I mean, animation, we're lucky because animation is always going to look beautiful. Live action, I think people are, more forgiving of, I guess, degraded film or, but audio just always has to be good. I mean, if you just can't hear something, it just doesn't work. So uh, it's massively important that we, we always get that right. Right. I mean, the other cool thing about it though is like for Cartoon President is because everyone has their own mics and Cartoon President is like super topical show. We're always trying to fit in new topical jokes right up until the last minute. And so Now, you know, it used to be a thing of like, how quickly can you get to the studio in LA traffic? Now it's how quickly can you walk to your bedroom and turn on your computer, which is much faster.
0: Yeah. So what, like the actual animation process, I'm always fascinated by that. Just like hearing Yeah. Hearing these very topical jokes that like something that happened two or three days ago and you're like, wow, how did they not only record the line, but then like animate the footage to match that? Like, I guess how uh, is there something different about your animation process that allows you to to work quickly?
1: Yes. There's basically two types of animation out there. You know, there's cell animation, which is kind of largely like digitally drawn, which is, I think, your most sophisticated, you know, Simpsons and and Family Guy use. But then there's also this other Animation, which is kind of more like uh, like puppets, animated puppets, which mm. is what we use. It's all through these Adobe programs, and Adobe actually recently introduced this recently, as in the last uh, you know five years, this character animator program, which is essentially a mocap of the. It, it literally, you set up a puppet, which is not as easy as it sounds. There's a whole rigging process of essentially. Taking the art and putting in a skeleton that so it can move properly in the way you want, yeah. And then um, your computer just mocaps your movements and records them. Wow. And that is extremely fast, but also the way the characters are rigged, you know, lip flap is something you can change pretty easily. Hmm. Uh, that's one way. As we get closer and closer to airtime, the less we can do. Uh, it's always, you know, we try to pick stories that are going to last all the way to airtime. Every once in a while. You know, uh, Kellyanne Conway will decide she's quitting, and we got to adjust. Or Chris <laughs> right. Wallace will be named, you know, the debates moderator, and we have to adjust. But we can lip flap. You can do. You can fucks with in a. You know, in a day. I mean, even the, the topical cold opens we do for the show every week at the top. There's a two or three minute topical cold open that we do that week. Really over the over the course of three days. You know, we'll prepare ahead of time and make all the backgrounds. Hopefully we have the characters ready to go already, but that comes together really quickly, you know, and uh, it's it's purely, you know, technology led is is getting us to a place where we can do this faster and faster, which for our cartoon president, which is reacting to the real world is essential.
0: Right. Uh, when you talk about sort of the mocap piece of it, like. When you're doing a voice from home, are you able to use mm-hmm. just like a like a FaceTime camera or something that's built into your laptop, or do you need some sort of something more sophisticated to get that motion captured?
1: Well, the thing about Cartoon President is, you know, it's a pretty sophisticated artistically show. I mean, it looks sure. great. And so that's going to require a high-level animator to get their hands on it. You know, we do this other show, Tuning Out the News, which is a kind of much more straight-ahead look, where, yes, we could, we have experimented with, you know, uh, the performers literally recording the animation as well. But that said, that's why, you know, in an animated show, design is so important for what you're trying to do. A lot of times, I think, you know, if you try to go for a design that's more sophisticated than the amount of, I guess production resources you have, you're you're going to get in trouble pretty quickly, and so you kind of have to design your characters as detailed as your production can allow. Yeah. And you know, we're we're trying to animate these shows over the course of you know 12 to 14 weeks, I would say, and so you got to design characters that can work with that sort of timeline. That's where Tim Lukey, who's one of the co-creators and who was who spearheaded when Cartoon President was a a mini show on The Late Show with Stephen Colbert. That's where me as a someone who came from a writing background has to turn to Tim and say, "What can we do, and how sophisticated do we want to go before we just don't have the, the time and money to to right. make this work and be funny?" Um, yeah, you have to be really careful on
0: that. Yeah, it's interesting too. Just you mentioned like The Simpsons and Family Guy and stuff, and and I see some mm-hmm. shared DNA, um, both in sort of the style of just you know sort of the bright, colorful animation. But even in yeah. just sort of like the way you portray Trump, that like he he's almost this like like a Homer Simpson or or Peter Griffin archetype, you know, kind of he's a bumbling kind of fool. But like the the way that you guys portray him, there's a weird heart <laughs> underneath, or like almost like a Michael Scott in the Office, like he he's an idiot and he messes a lot of things up. But like you can't fault him because you feel like he's trying, which I don't feel like is like how the real Trump is. I, I guess I just sort of wonder like as, as you were forming the show, like, how did you come up yeah. with that characterization of him and, and sort of stylistically and, you know, performative wise, like what, what was sort of the goal and in, in how you wanted to portray the president?
1: It's the fundamental, uh, the hardest thing creatively about the show is how to do that. And it's the thing we grapple with the most, you know, but I think what it comes down to is obviously Donald Trump is not Homer Simpson, not Peter right. Griffin. And in terms of, uh, Donald Trump, obviously, not in terms of just the fact that he's his power and decisions affect real life people, but uh, I would say his intents are, are probably, at least in effect, uh far, far worse. Sure. The thing is, though, you know, Donald Trump is the hero of his own journey. And he thinks we think of him as a, I think, as people who are critics of him think of him as a bad guy. Donald Trump does not think of himself as a bad guy. Donald Trump thinks he's a good guy. He, he thinks he's doing the right thing in his own mind. And so, you know, when you're writing the character, as much as you want to write the character as like, okay, I'm going to do this nefarious thing today. That's not what he thinks he's doing. Hmm. He thinks he's doing the right thing. And it's just, we know it's awful and he doesn't. Right. And, you know, we've kind of I think we try to trust our that our audience understands that when Donald Trump, our main character, is smiling, it's not because we like him. It's because Donald Trump thinks he's doing the right thing right. and trusting that the audience understands the irony. You know, if you read the transcript of a cartoon president script, I feel like it's a much different experience than watching it. Because <laughs> when you watch it, yeah. it's, it's bright colors. Right. It's bright colors. It's people on their journey, their hero's journey in their own mind if you listen to the words it can be a deeply dark show and goes to some very edgy places right but we're hoping the you know we're trusting the audience will understand the irony of that there's a sketch in uh that comes out of british comedy about and it's these nazis beside trying to figure out if they're the bad guys or not mm. which is like a brilliant observation it's yeah. basically these two nazis who i think they said are we the baddies because i'm starting <laughs> to think like just the way we're being portrayed it's right. like we might We might be the bad guys, you know, and that's kind of what is going on with Trump. He doesn't realize he's the bad guy. And so to be honest to the character, we kind of, we need to portray him that way. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's not easy for sure.
0: Yeah. That's such an interesting take on it. And, and I, I think it's true that, yeah, he does, he does see himself as this hero and like, and I'm talking about the real guy at this point too, of like, yeah. how come more people aren't showing up at my rallies and you know, why aren't, why, yeah. why don't you love me? Look at, it's look it's very at how strange. Great yeah. yeah. That's <laughs> right. so interesting. I, I wonder too, like, you know, I, I, I feel like it would be, it could have been easy or the temptation may have been there to say we're going to build a stable of, you know, 10 characters around him. We're going to pick the 10 craziest people, whether it's in his cabinet or, you know, the news media mm-hmm. or whatever. And we're going to focus on that. And part of what yeah. I love about your show is just it feels like every week the the characters that we're meeting are brand new. Like there's there's just always somebody else coming into the orbit. And again, whether that's, you know, administration people or just like you know, it, you could have just been Wolf Blitzer on CNN, but you have Anderson Cooper and you have Chris Cuomo and, you know, the Fox universe. Like, I, I get, just tell me about sort of how, why you chose to go in that direction and sort of the difficulty, I guess, of of having to develop all these characters every week.
1: It, there's there's a, a few reasons. And one is because we can, because we have amazing, quick artists and a production ability to generate characters quickly. Yeah. There's another reason, which is, Uh, that I just think our audience can only watch Trump for so long. It's just uh, this is a person who is causing a lot of harm to a lot of people. And for all the reasons we just talked about, you got to give people some some space to laugh. And, you know, so it's a just democratizing the storytelling uh, and giving people a break from from Donald Trump. And there's a third reason, which is that, you know, in many ways, the cartoon present is just a a symptom of a larger dysfunctional relationship between Washington and the media. Yeah. And for every Trump there are, there are people who are enabling him. There are people who are enabling him by not attacking him hard enough. There are media people who have some kind of influence on it. So it's, you know, we wanted to kind of convey to the audience that ultimately this is about power and money. And Donald Trump is one of the people, but there are many of them, both sides of the aisle uh, in the media who are kind of all part of the same story in which we have a dysfunctional government. And so our cartoon president, he sure is the figurehead, but this is like a story about Washington ultimately. And so we, we want to show how Pelosi and Schumer, uh, they're very concerned with maintaining their power. uh, Obviously uh joe biden is on a mission right now to hold more power than he's ever held there are anchors who maybe are either sucking up to or criticizing a certain person because they have their audiences trying to increase their power and worth and so these are many themes themes that are just not exclusive to the president when it comes down to it you know and that's why i feel like if joe biden is the the next president then you know this show still goes on it's it's still the same uh the same clay is on the wheel
0: yeah, because it is it is systematic and <laughs> it's been going on for a long oh time. Oh my god, yes. yeah. It feels yeah. like Donald Trump just kind of he figured out how to exploit that system and and yeah. really benefit from it personally and you know from a power sure. standpoint and and all of that. Um I wonder too just I feel like one of the things that you guys have kind of stayed away from that that other people veer into is sort of using direct quotes against any of your subjects that like, Mm -hmm. again, you may reference, you know, Kellyanne Conway leaving, but it's not like, you know, Trump says something ridiculous, Uh, person, man, woman, that whole thing, (laughs) you know, camera TV, something like that. Like, I feel like you don't lean as heavily, you know, like SNL, a lot of times their version of satire is just, let me say the words and maybe add a joke or two after the direct quote And you guys have sort of built this whole world around an ethos or an attitude that that those words convey without actually using those words.
1: Yeah, that's an interesting observation. I mean, I think part of it is that... You know, we have characters that you need to live with week after week. You know, they need to they need to have their kind of own world. And, you know, I feel like SNL, they're satirizing that week's news. Yeah. Um, And they're not necessarily you're seeing the same people over and over again. So, you know, our world, we also want to have the creative space because it's animation where we can go pretty far. And so we feel like our world needs to exist on some kind of parallel timeline to you know the real world i mean and the other thing is you know these things get ultimately like this show is a character study of these people and you know a lot of the those kind of fleeting gaffes uh like you mentioned, are things that get chewed up on Twitter and late night very quickly. Those avenues are designed for that kind of comedy. Ours is not. And it's also, when we were conceiving this show, it's like, we're not looking for a show that's going to last six episodes. We want to make a a whole world here that's going to live on for a long time. And so you need to kind of, I think, create three-dimensional characters. And a lot of times, like, we'll talk to you even as we're writing, it's like, uh, and I, I credit Stephen Colbert is is so in tune to this. It's like sometimes uh, words and jokes are not a character, an, an attitude and a want and desires are a character. Mm. And the words need to extend from that. So if you see the real world joke, it's more like, okay, well, what's the attitude behind that? That's going to inform our animation. It's going to inform our animated uh, joke. And honestly, it's also like, I just want to make sure that, like i i'm a sucker for an original joke you've never heard of uh i just like i I don't know what it is but uh and i think i've you know it's something on our staff when we hear something we've heard before we just we want every line to be original and funny and something you've never heard before and and i i like we're always talking about specificity uh is very important to us just get more and more specific we have a lot of people who are like onion alumni Mm. And uh, which is I, what I admire about The Onion so much is they are so specific in their right. jokes, yes. and uh, so you know it's a kind of like let's always be challenging us and giving our audience something new to to chew on.
0: Yeah, it's interesting, sort of that the the attitude and and swagger piece of it being more important than than the direct words. Like I also sort of think about some of the story arcs you tell, mm-hmm. and they're sometimes they're just kind of fun sitcomy worlds that exist with people in the news that really aren't related to the news. I'm thinking about like, there was an episode earlier this season where like Pete Buttigieg sort of went on this journey to try to validate himself beyond being a mayor and ends up getting entangled with Bill Clinton and, uh, and Alan yeah. Dershowitz. like, but like it wasn't anything that specifically came out of the headlines, but it was this great journey that you're just like, Oh, now I, I could see that happening. Like, I, I guess part of the question I have for you is sort of, the timeline, and you mentioned like twelve to fourteen weeks on animation, but I'm wondering, like, on a writing side, like, how early are you? Are you working on scripts and falling into some of those, you know, just sillier situational uh, comedies? Like, is that does that allow you to break free? I guess from the news to some extent, if you're writing several weeks out.
1: Yeah, I mean, we start about I would say four months out uh, conceiving storylines, and wow. it's very much like which you know, what is the fundamental driver of this character? I would argue, like, Pete Buttigieg is deeply ambitious. Yeah. I mean, you don't run for president of the country as a mayor from a, <laughs> uh, not a very large town in Indiana, unless right. you you got <laughs> some deep ambitions. And, yeah. and in some ways, it's like, even the fact that he ran was kind of, like, disqualifying. You know, so the extension of that is, okay, if you were... If Pete Buttigieg is a deeply ambitious, or cartoon Pete Buttigieg is deeply ambitious, that what does that lead to? You know, what is X Y Z, and Z being the craziest uh, version of that, and uh, that was ending up with like, you know, <laughs> the most deeply the person who was the most deeply ambitious of uh, of all, Bill Clinton, uh, and so. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it does force you to think about what is what is the vector of this character? Where is it heading? And now, the, and the thing that is crazy that happens is that when you do that, you end up with these like really amazing coincidences between the animation and the real world. We have our, I think it's our, um, one of the episodes this season, John Jr. and Eric are working with Mike Lindell, uh, the MyPillow guy, on a <laughs> coronavirus cure. Yeah, You started writing that three or four months ago, and then lo and behold, This past week, Mike Lindell is involved in the coronavirus cure and pushing out this supplement along with the president. Uh, It's something that keeps happening, obviously, like from the very first episode, which like the inciting incident was Brian Kilmeade having some doubts about the president. And then the week that episode was airing, Brian Kilmeade actually did that. And so it's happened like six or seven times and sometimes an article will come out and say oh they were commenting on this thing that just happened and it's like no we started writing that three months ago and that just happened to line up jonathan van ness appeared in in an episode cheering on aoc and pelosi and then like the week that the episode came out jonathan van ness was walking around with pelosi and schumer i mean sorry pelosi and and aoc down in washington hopefully it's more than luck but if you think hard about the characters, you realize is you realize these certain things are just bound to happen and uh and it keeps happening on the show, uh for sure.
0: That that's so funny. Just to think about sort of taking these real figures and and trying to distill character traits and motivations from those real people. Yeah. And then yeah, it, it turns into your characters and it, it reflects in real life. That's that's pretty wild. Yeah. Um I wonder too, just sort of like once once you have an arc you know, four four months out, and you're you're working through a story. Like, sure. how how often are you changing it based on sort of reaction to to the news?
1: Usually, we can, you know, we'll come up with the spine of the story, and we're not like we're you know we try to be smart about it and think like, is there anything that's going to happen over the next three or four months that's going to torpedo this story? So far, it hasn't really happened. But you know, we design it that way where it's it is a character study. Yeah first you start out with the story, the act breaks and everything. And then, you know, the next thing is the scenes. Um, Scenes are pretty flexible. You know, you can swap those out fairly easily if something just doesn't match up with the real world. Yeah. Um, Lines are the easiest thing. So we try to make the, save the topical references for lines as opposed to, you know, scenes or storylines, which are kind of, so it, it seems like the, the, Kind of more micro, uh, it is the more hyper focused you can be, the more flexible, you know, uh, the easier it is to change. But so far, we haven't gotten burnt quite yet, or we were able to add lines at the last minute to justify why a certain thing, um, has happened. I'm trying to think of, I think there was like the Michael Bloomberg. Oh, this was it, Michael Bloomberg. We had this episode last season where he begs Hillary to get back in the race and come to the, come save wall street yeah. uh, because looks like there's going to be an anti wall street democratic nominee. Then suddenly Michael Bloomberg jumps in the race and we said, Oh shit, this is not going to make any sense. Then Michael Bloomberg, like right before the episode was going to air all of a sudden he had that horrible debate and his numbers just went to the toilet. Yeah. And so we were able to adjust the first scene to be, Hey Hillary, it's not going to work out for me. I need you to step in here. And it worked out perfectly. And it, you know, it worked out perfectly and fed right into the story when we are able to adjust, Uh, you know, those are the little things we can kind of do along the way to, to make sure we're aligned. Luckily we haven't gotten too burnt
0: yet. Yeah. I wonder just sort of too about sort of the literacy of your writing room and just sort of like yeah. how, how up on the news are you guys and like, what what are the conversations look like? I guess maybe in the old days when you were physically in the same space, but maybe now over Zoom or Slack or something like, how do you guys digest the news and just sort of start talking about it with each other?
1: Uh, deeply engaged in the news. Yeah. I mean, we are, we have a research packet that we do uh, daily as we're devising stories, We're constantly sending uh, people, you know, around stories. I think a lot of the kind of um, palace intrigue stuff and behind the scenes, this is how this person behaves uh, is very fascinating. Yeah. I mean, we want to make sure we get it right. And usually, and also being able to, I think we have a lot of people who are deeply skeptical of media. And so we try, you know, we try to hire writers who don't just look at a statement that's published and think that's what the, the, politician really thinks, or we hire people who can see past headlines and figure out what's going on. And I think in order to do that, you need to have a pretty deep index of how Washington and media and business work. So, you know, we try to avoid people, I would say writers who are partisan, because that can often cloud your judgment of like, what's really going on. We want hyper critical thinkers and uh, who are deeply engaged. And I think can sniff out, this is the real character. This is who it is. So it, it's a, yeah, it's a highly engaged writing staff ultimately.
0: Yeah. That, that must be a fun group <laughs> to be a part of just to be, uh, to be engaging at that level. Uh, what's the, uh, what's sort of the, uh, the Venn diagram between cartoon president and tuning out the news? Like, is it a lot of the same writers or are they completely separate staffs?
1: Uh, we had a little bit of crossover. Uh, I'm involved with those shows as is, uh, Zach Smilovitz and and Mike Leach, we all work on those shows. Those guys who are producers on Cartoon President are also co-creators of Tuning Out the News. I mean, a lot of it is honestly just the production intelligence that goes behind each show. These shows, I mean, the looking at Cartoon President, how they've been able to turn around things so fast, uh, was able to give birth to, you know, Tuning Out the News, which is even faster. And uh, especially when COVID hit, you know, tuning out the news had to adjust initially and uh, figure out how to do remote production. Cartoon President was about to start production. So a lot of the lessons we learned from tuning transferred over to Cartoon President. So, you know, same ecosystem, but we like to keep the shows ultimately, you know, separate and make sure they have their own uh, lifeblood. And, uh, you know, honestly, just for a a solid firewall between the two and make sure they're both solid shows.
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, So, Uh, episode nine of cartoon president aired uh, at the end of March. And now you guys are back with episode 10. Uh, That's a Mm -hmm. pretty long hiatus. Was that sort of planned or was that a result of, of COVID and coronavirus?
1: It was mostly planned because we thought that the news cycle was going to be most engaged during the primaries and then leading up to the general. So that's why we split it the way we did was let's, let's have shows on during the primary. Let's have shows on during the general. What happened was COVID hit right before our 10th episode of the first part of the season and so we've actually moved that into this back order while we figured out how to produce it so it was just one episode that was that was really affected uh but yeah largely we've been okay just in terms of timing
0: yeah um coming back after six months and just sort of it feels like this is the most that news has ever happened in my lifetime, at least, <laughs> just yeah, like, right. <laughs> coronavirus and you know Black Lives Matter and uh, yeah, there's just like everything is is happening all at once right now. Like, how did you guys just even begin to break that tenth episode <laughs> coming back and just like you know digest everything that had transpired in the last six months?
1: Yeah, I mean, there was a bunch of things. One is like, and it's something I've gotten used to over the years, and it's something we've you know, our staff, there's a couple of us who wrote for Late Show with David Letterman. Oh, and actually, I mean, I wrote for MSNBC um, at one point. And one thing you learn very quickly is like, just because you've already written something doesn't mean it's going to go on the air. Uh, You know, at at Late Show, 99% of the stuff gets thrown out. I used to write the A block for Last Week with Lawrence O'Donnell. Anything I wrote before five or six o'clock PM was not going to make the show because it just had to be that hyper-topical. And so, you have to basically not be lazy and say, all right, we've already done this. It's done. We can't adjust it. The audience has no idea how much work has gone behind something. They just want it to be, you know, they want it to be relevant and funny. And so you have to trust your yourself that I can come up with the next joke. It's going to be okay. You know, and it's going to feel, I think sometimes the audience can detect if something is written earlier or stale and they it can also detect if something is fresh and of the moment, you know, I, I was on the road with uh triumphant cell comic dog where we were doing those election specials and it comes across on screen, just how chaotic it was to uh, write and produce and it feels so fresh. And so I think the audience gets a sense of that energy and, you know, you try to, so you try to match it in, in the production. There's that. And there's also this, you know, like you said, uh, with George Floyd and Black Lives Matter, it was extremely important that we responded to that. We brought in two uh, Black female writers, Naima Pierce and uh, Ziwe Fumado, who are just wildly talented. want to make sure that we had those voices in the writer's room and um, could speak to those stories. So yeah, you have to adjust along with the material and just not say, hey, this is the way we do it, and it's easier. You really do have to lean into the the thing that is hard is the thing that the audience is going to respond to the most.
0: Right. Right. Uh, I, I wonder though, just like even beginning to, to make sense of sort of the pandemic and stuff like, I don't know, just what, what were some of the discussions I guess about like, how do we tackle this? What's what's our, what's our in here?
1: Well, you're right. And it, the, I would say COVID there's been a few stories that just were not funny, you know, especially when they happened. And it just felt like, all right, let's just pause for a second. COVID is one of them. When we found out what was happening at the border with uh, with kids in cages, that was one where it just felt like a massive hit in the stomach. And obviously George Floyd was extremely visceral to the country and just required a lot of thought. And what inevitably happens in all of those is you discover who are the kind of bad actors in the situation. Yeah, There's nothing nothing can happen in this country where there's not some kind of corruption or some kind of uh, person with ill intent around the story and that's kind of where you start you know for every um, coronavirus case there is a government official who didn't respond quickly enough and so you start there or you start with the media person who didn't uh, take it as seriously as they should have and spread disinformation yeah you look at the story and just say who did it wrong and who needs to be, you know, who do we need to go after for this? Um, That's really it. And and I challenge you to find a, a tragedy where there's not someone, you know, who is, perhaps exploiting it for the wrong reasons or a bad actor. It's it's one of the features of this country that I don't think is going to go away.
0: Yeah, well, sort of as you're saying that, I'm just thinking about sort of anticipating the next couple of months leading up to Election Day and sort of already some of the behavior we're seeing from Donald Trump of just like, you know, going to Kenosha and, and sort of stoking the flames there and, you know, saying like, hey, you know, this this 17 year old kid that just shot protesters like that's a good thing. It just like he he's veering into the territory of like you know almost like just comedic disney villain <laughs> this like jafar or something you know like he's he's so right. insanely big and evil and i just wonder sort of you know trying to to grapple with that and sort of what we talked about before of this kind of bumbling oaf persona yep. like just how do you, how do you think those two worlds might meet as the season progresses
1: it's not like I said, it's the hardest creative thing and that we grapple with. And like, you know, we, we take those jokes and how we're representing it, how we're representing the president in those stories very seriously. We, it's the thing we examine the most. And, you know, it's, to be honest, it's, you have to make sure sure the show is edgy enough and feels like it is rising to the level of satire required of something that is so, um, awful. And, you know, it's keeping the joke sharp and edgy. Um, I think probably what you will find if you were to watch the show from first episode to third season is it got sharper and sharper, went further and further, and honestly, just to adjust to the administration and how it's evolved over the course of the years. Yeah, and I mean, I, it's a credit to to Showtime and CBS Studios for letting us go far. Like I said, if they There's some jokes in the show I can't believe we get away with, but I'm thankful that we do. And um, no, you just have to be very careful of your tone and make sure what you're saying is uh, matches the moment. I mean, one on the other side of it, it's like the alternative is not joking about it. And I would hate a situation where someone has defeated comedy. Someone has gone to the point where they're beyond satire or they're beyond that kind of uh, ridicule that, that feels so defeatist to, to, to me, I think, and the staff as satirists. You know, often jokes can really, really get through to people. If you can make people laugh, you've hit something in their brain that says, hey, I, I just heard something that I know deep down is true. And so that's what we're striving for, is to provide some kind of catharsis to our audience and poke through the noise and hopefully have jokes that are so incisive that they get to the heart of the matter and you know, no, regardless of uh, it, it's, and jokes that I just acknowledged how, how horrible the situation is. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's 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 hard. It, it, it's it's uh, not as hard as the people who are dealing with these things, but it's it's definitely something that we we put a lot of thought into.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. Just there's there's a joke uh, in the new episode that's coming out on Sunday. Uh, where Donald Trump's at a press conference and is mm-hmm. sort of talking about, you know, people dying and and a reporter kind of calls out like you're going to die at some point and he just freezes and he's like is this the first you've thought about your own mortality? And I, I saw that, yeah. like, three or four days ago, and it's just – it stuck with me, that, that one joke. Mm-hmm. And then sort of as the story came out that, you know, he doesn't have any respect for, for fallen troops and just, you know, yeah. sees them as losers and so Like, I, I just sort of – it goes back to what you were saying, I guess, of just you figure out the character traits and, and these stories just kind of spring forth in real life. But just yeah. – it, it made me think, like, I wonder if this guy really understands how death works. <laughs> like, it, it does feel <laughs> – just so like that piece of his brain is missing or something
1: yeah there's uh mike leach has a uh, joke on our staff where whenever someone is doing something crazy uh, i think he'll say something like i can't believe that's how they chose to spend their one life and (laughs) uh it's true it's like you get one life on this earth and to choose to spend it this way or to make uh to create this level of misery is a very strange decision and it makes you think is this guy's sociopathy or whatever is going on uh so off-kilter that he doesn't have any sense of larger duty to just be a good human being yeah, yeah.
0: yeah absolutely yeah i'm curious like you you mentioned the sh- that you know this this sort of all started as as a bit originally on on the late show and obviously Stephen Colbert and chris Licht are uh are e p s on your show yeah. like I assume they're they're busy with the late show most of the time, but sort of like what's what's some of the wisdom that they've been able to offer or some of the direction that they've been able to sort of help shape just sort of I imagine just them being sort of in the trenches of the news every day and having to respond to it you know that evening like have they been able to provide any sort of guidance <laughs> relative to to how you guys approach the show
1: yeah, absolutely I mean both of them are are obviously have their uh, skill sets that they are that they definitely have helped with the success of the show i mean i think for stephen colbert it's you know character development i mean stephen is at his heart a performer and an actor and uh so looking at someone and saying okay i think this is what's go- i think this is what they want in life and this is what the character should reflect mm. and i think and also as a satirist this is what I think is going on, and what is the thing to satirize and take to its, you know, crazy uh, point. And I think in Chris Lick you have someone who comes from a news background and and has stepped into the Late Show and made it, uh, you know, I wouldn't say made it, but you know, has certainly have been has pushed to made it deeply relevant to what's going on in the news cycle. I think they talk a lot about how when the show went live is when they really found their footing because you're forced to comment on what's happening right now in the world. Yeah. Um, and the same for the show. I think what, you know, Chris Lick brought is saying, you know, this, the topical code opens, for example, uh, people want to see what is happening right now in their show and they want to have that sense of, you know, I'm seeing what I, what if what strikes me as crazy is looking right back at me, in their TV or computer or whatever it is and making sure we have that that DNA that does come from uh, from late show. Yeah, I mean, the, the, those two have been just deeply effective in making sure the show, the ship is on the right course. You know, I think by now we've kind of established a, we've established the machine and it's working smoothly. Yeah, I mean, I think now it's at this point where it's kind of just keeping an eye on tone and, you know, what do we want to satirize? But no, they're, they're, both of them have been just deeply invaluable to the show's development.
0: Awesome. Um I'm uh, I'm getting nervous looking ahead to November and just sort of in my own way. <laughs> oh brain, really? A little, Why? A little bit What's going on. Just, uh, yeah. Uh, like thinking about sort of, you know, what are the different paths here and like, you know, I yeah. I I'm sure you've followed like there are people sort of doing these different game theories of like, you know, okay, yeah. if it's a Biden blowout, if it's a close election, if yeah. it's, you know, electoral but not uh popular like, how are you guys <laughs> sort of planning for what what, what, yeah. what do you think November looks like? And, and how do you plan for it as a showrunner?
1: I I have no idea what November uh, looks like, which is why we've not even tried. So what happens is for the last episode, we have instead of, you know, usually the first two or three minutes of the show are the topical. This is the hyper topical part. Yeah. So the last episode, Acts 1 and 2 take place during that day. And it's all about know, so many of, I think, the the audience's favorite characters, you're going to see everyone from Chief of Staff John Kelly is going to come back and Kelly Ann is going to come back and we we'll Don Jr. and Eric and everyone from the cast is going to be in that show. And Acts 1 and 2 are going to be kind of like day in the life of for that election day and kind of where everyone stands. Yeah. Uh, but we have not animated Act 3 yet. So the election happens at the end of Act 2. Uh, act 3 we're going to animate that week. And, uh, yeah, it's going to be the most ambitious thing we've done so far. Usually we do these kind of two or three top, two or three minute topical pieces. This is going to be more uh, along the uh, five to ten minute uh, topical piece. So, yeah. yeah, I think you're absolutely right. As you hear more and more about where the election is heading and postal service and, you know, election interference right. and vote twice now as the <laughs> right. new thing. That's
0: yeah, that's a thing now.
1: It's uh, it is deeply unpredictable. And uh, we're that's why we haven't put pen to
0: paper on what's going to happen. Yeah. That's a great approach though. Like, you know, you talking about the late show going live and those are some of the shows, like I make a point to see those, like I don't want to miss those because yeah. they're just, they are yeah. just so immediate. And I think that's an awesome approach for your show as well, because yeah, no one knows <laughs> what it's going to look like. No one and, knows. And there's, yeah. yeah. There's a lot to play with there though. Well, thank you, RJ. I, uh, I appreciate your time and, uh, I love the work you guys are doing. It's an awesome show and, uh, yeah, I, uh, I can't wait to see what the rest of the season looks like.
1: Yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, I encourage everyone to watch. It's available uh, wherever you can uh, stream Showtime. It's a great season. I think it's our edgiest, most ambitious, biggest world yet. There's uh, over 100 characters who we have in this stable, and uh, it's so much fun to make. And we feel deeply grateful that we have this outlet to express uh, all our Angst and anger of what's going on in the world and put it into this uh, to this crazy cartoon president world. So, uh, thanks so much for for giving us the time. Appreciate it.
0: All right, R.J. Freed, you heard him there. New episodes of Our Cartoon President are on Showtime, resuming again this Sunday, September thirteenth, and uh, right up through the election. So, wherever you stream Showtime or if you still watch it on cable, check it out. It's a, it's a great show. And uh, tuning out the news. Is on CBS All Access. Make sure you check out that as well. And don't forget new episodes of Quarantine Creatives come out every Monday and Thursday in your favorite podcast player. Make sure you hit subscribe so that you'll be one of the first to uh, hear the episodes when they come out. And leave me a rating and a review too. I love that. I am at Heath Rosella on Twitter and Instagram. I look forward to hearing from you guys. I love hearing what you like about the show, what you don't like, all that kind of stuff. And uh, I will talk to you on Monday. Have a great weekend, everyone, and stay safe.